Chapter 16 Officers Chuck Ellis and Doyle Dwyer had nothing in common. So the local classic rock radio station, famous for its 70s guitar-driven ballads, had come to replace the otherwise awkward silence of their long, boring highway patrol shifts. They were both new to the Nottingham Sheriff's Department, having been transferred together as a package deal. This was all despite their lack of interest in one another and their dwindling sense of pride in their work. They were the mules. That's what the other deputies called them behind their backs, as well as to their faces. A deputy mule was the legs and baggage handler to the rest of the crew. When Sheriff Dubois had been handed two new mules at once, there was hardly a thing left for the rest of the boys to do. Dwyer and Ellis did all the ticketing, which was the brunt of criminal work in Nottingham. These two new recruits also drove the longest routes and carried the most correspondence while doing so. The sheriff would have considered Ellis and Dwyer a helpful addition to his staff had it not been for their poor attitudes and constant insubordination. Dwyer was too timid. He was also very slow and incredibly dumb. Ellis was just an asshole. He was going through a divorce and let it be known, often spouting egg-headed philosophies on existence in a monotone drawl. He wanted to be crazy like Springfield, but had settled for being an emotionless loser instead. Some shitty song was playing as they sat parked outside the Metro Motel. Ellis had his radar gun pointed at the sun, pretending to shoot imaginary laser beams at it and making blasting sounds with his mouth. Dwyer was eating a bag of gummy worms and sipping a paper cup of milk, his usual midday snack before lunch. He slurped at the cup and chewed a few worms with his mouth open, staring out his passenger's window at the motel across the road. The dispatch radio suddenly rattled and beeped. Then the voice of Deputy Reswal Fontaine came on in an irritated grumble as if his words were pain to speak. Did you lazy fuckers get to the motel yet? he asked. Pick up your radio. Fontaine was younger than both of them, but he was a bully all the way. Between his constant hazing and that weirdo Dusty Springfield's wild outbursts, Answering the dispatch radio was something that often took great efforts for Ellis to do. Most times, Dwyer would reach for it and Ellis would bat his hand away, lecturing something construed from bad poetry. Ellis often just left the dispatch radio off and made excuses for their absence at events by lying that it was broken. But today, there had been a murder and a stolen car. Wendy was missing again. Springfield had flown off the handle, of course. Fontaine was actually doing something for a change. And the sheriff had been quieter than ever. A bothersome factor. For these reasons, Ellis had left the radio on all day long, out of amusement and curiosity. Dwyer was very aware of what his oddball partner was up to, but he kept quiet by eating as much as possible. 
Earlier that day, the sheriff in Springfield had spoken over the radio about the strange happenings at the motel. They'd been corresponding with only Fontaine, but their conversations had been broadcast over the communal channel. Ellis had listened in the whole time, smirking at Springfield's curses and the sheriff's dumb voice. Ellis was able to track their route by way of this too. Since their first conversation about Wendy, Ellis had turned his car around and followed the troubling events, always a mile and a half behind, stalking the fumbling efforts of his co-workers like a snake following a wounded bunny. Sickest of all, Dwyer had to sit shotgun while Ellis refused to help. They'd even been on the highway when the white hearse had gone speeding by, likely carrying Wendy Montgomery captive in the back. They'd also been parked in the brush when Springfield's jeep blasted past them in a race to catch up with it. Then they'd watched the red sports car roll by in a cloud of smoke before it went sideways onto the shoulder and exploded, almost killing the driver. Ellis had let all this glide over the black lenses of his sunglasses as he sat behind the wheel, indifferent to it all. Dwyer had done little else but worry and chew things. So when the last stand had been found, and Fontaine and Springfield exchanged informative updates as to their doomed situations, Ellis had finally turned the car on and driven to the motel to look around something he'd been ordered to do well over an hour ago. And although he and Dwyer were now sitting right across the street, they'd yet to do much looking around. Ellis, Fontaine's voice asked through the radio, I know you're listening to me, asshole. Don't think I'm not aware of what you're up to. I saw your car back there. I'd have come over and kicked your ass for not helping me, but I was too busy actually doing my job. Ellis smirked. He hated Fontaine. Dwyer, Fontaine's voice asked lowly. Dwyer, I know you can hear this too. Listen, I know we all have our differences, and I know that you two don't especially feel like a part of the team, and perhaps that's my fault, but Springfield is about to bust into some ramshackle hideout by himself, and if he gets shot and killed, I'll be forced to tell the sheriff that neither of you idiots would lift a finger. Ellis looked at Dwyer and smiled. Dwyer became very uncomfortable. At least tell me you're at the motel, Fontaine said, defeated by their silence. Ellis cracked his neck, took a few deep breaths, hesitating with his hand at the radio controls. Finally, he picked up the receiver and spoke into it, coldly. 422, this is Deputy Charles Ellis. How can I help you? Dwyer frowned and crammed a few gummy worms in his mouth, preparing for an all-out scream from the other end. But surprisingly, despite Ellis's mocking phrase and fake tone, Fontaine spoke without anger. You know something, Ellis? Fontaine asked. Guys like you make me really disappointed in the future. Pretty soon, you'll have the run of the place, and this whole world is going to turn to hell. Already has, 
Ellis replied. Guys like you think you can fix what's already been done. Guys like you just make me sad. Period. Miles away, Fontaine clutched his radio, wanting to smash it through his window. But he thought better, and paused, pushing his hat back on his head and glancing into his rearview mirror at Scott's drooping head. He thought about the day, about Springfield's wife, and about the sheriff's voice after seeing so much blood and gore. Fontaine cupped his hand over his radio and shut his eyes, realizing that Ellis was entirely right. This was hell. It was undeniable. If Springfield were to die, his death would suit him. He'd die alone at the end of the trail of unreciprocated love, likely lying on his back, full of bullets. The sheriff would blame himself, Wendy would skip his funeral, and Fontaine would have to take over second in command, which was really first in command, command of nothing but chaos and foolishness. Fontaine reached to shut off his radio, but stopped, bringing the mouthpiece back to his lips and pressing the dial. Fine, Ellis, he said. If you feel up for it, check the rest of the rooms. Try and find Baker. Maybe he knows something we don't. If there's anybody around, ask about a place called Fast Stop. Or don't, for all I care. Don't do anything if that's what pleases you. Follow your heart, asshole. Or better yet, don't. Just make a decision and leave me out of it. I'm going to catch up with Springfield before they bury his remains. You two can be there to help if you'd like. Or you can sit where you are. I no longer care. Fontaine's radio clicked off. Ellis punched a few dials and tried to get the signal back, but apparently Fontaine had finally had enough. Ellis tried to find the channel for the sheriff in Springfield, but their location had cut them off as well. Dwyer looked on dumbly as his partner wrestled with the dials. It seemed the rest of the guys had finally tuned him out. There was no longer anyone to tell him what to do. Surprisingly, Ellis wasn't taking it well. He muttered a curse as he poked at the radio, thinking somehow it'd been a mistake or that something had broken. Finally, he gave up and threw the receiver down and opened his door. He climbed out carrying the radar gun and crossed the highway, stepping through the grass and up the driveway of the motel. Dwyer opened his door and chased after him, his hands balancing his milk, baton, the gummy worms, and an unopened bag of peanuts. He looked both ways before crossing the road. It was bright as hell out, and quiet. A silent hiss moved through the trees as he stumbled up the drive, calling after Ellis to wait up.